Welcome to the Go Vita podcast, where your vitality is our passion. It's time to supercharge your health and wellness to take the next step on being the best version of you. Let's get underway. Hello and welcome to the Go Vita podcast, the show dedicated to bringing you the latest and greatest wellness advice so that you can enjoy the health and vitality that you deserve. Marcus Pierce here with you, CEO of the Wellness Couch Podcast Network, and today we are talking about the brain, Alzheimer's disease, cognitive decline, and much, much more with Dr. Ross Walker. Dr. Ross recently presented on this topic at the 2018 Go Vita annual conference and he posed the question, is it all downhill from here? Are we doomed to be a country and world of ungraceful ages with poor functioning brains or is there light at the end of the tunnel? To answer these questions and more, let's go into the conference room and learn from the great Dr. Ross Walker. All right. Very excited to welcome back our next guest. He has performed over 80,000 ECGs, written seven books, and spent over 40 years in the medical profession as a cardiologist. A little bit of hush, guys, because we are in the company of greatness when it comes to health and wellness. So a little bit of hush in the room, please. A little bit of hush in the room, please. You don't want to hear me sing all day. Thank you. Great. <laughs> I do think it's fair to say that we are extremely, and I mean this with every piece of my heart, extremely fortunate to be once again joined at conference by Dr. Ross Walker, a true leader and doyen of the industry. Hold, hold your applause, hold your applause, because just so you know, to present the aging brain, a topic that is so important to every single one of us, and not just the topic of the aging brain, but asking the question, is it all downhill? Would you give the loudest applause you've given all day for Dr. Ross Walker? I think it's probably one of our greatest fears when you think about it, as you get older, does the brain rot and we just lose it all? And, and for many people it does, but I think we can reverse it and I'm going to tell you today how we can do that. But before I do, I want to tell you a story about two elderly senior citizens, Dorothy and Edna. And Dorothy said to Edna, um, Edna, you know that really nice George Johnson? Um, you went out with him last week and he's just asked me out this week, well, did you have a good time? And, and Edna goes, well, it's just extraordinary. We, we, he turned up at seven o'clock right on time and bought me a beautiful bunch of flowers, took me downstairs. There was a chauffeured limousine there. We had this wonderful dinner, lobster, champagne, beautiful desserts, took me to a show. And when he got back to my unit, he turned into an animal. He ripped my expensive new dress and had his way with me three times. And, and uh, Dorothy then said to Edna, well, what are you saying? I shouldn't go out with him. And Edna says, no, no, just wear an old dress. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is there are at the moment 47 million people worldwide with dementia. In Australia, it's about 343 thousand people. There are over one million people in Australia who are involved in the care of someone with dementia, either relatives, carers or professional people who are involved in the care. One million out of our population of I think it's nearly 25 million. So it's a huge problem and it's, it can only get worse as the population gets older and with all the other factors I'm talking about. Because here's the issue. Our body was designed to wander around a jungle with a spear for 30, 40 years. That's it. Have our head ripped off by a saber-toothed tiger or die of some infection. We weren't designed to go double our use-by date, which is what we're doing now. Average age for males, 
uh, 80 years old for females, 84. And unfortunately, many people end up looking like this. Now here's, and I'm, I'm about to now tell you the cause of Alzheimer's disease and dementia, the cause. The cause is this, it's our microcirculation. Because here's the issue, doesn't matter how much water there is in Warragamba Dam, or any dam, it's how much you turn your tap on that's important. And that's exactly what we're talking about with the microcirculation. The macrocirculation are the big blood vessels that go up to your brain, but the microcirculation are the tiny little capillaries that are feeding the brain. And as we get older, like everything in the body, those things get sluggish and you're not washing out the garbage. And this is the issue. Every time you have a thought, that thought creates a waste product. Every time any reaction occurs in your body, you do the reaction, but there's always a waste product. So if you have a meal and you don't get rid of all the scraps at the end of the meal, the stuff gets stuck to the plate and the plate's no longer worthwhile. And it's exactly the same thing in your brain. When you have a thought, if you don't wash out the waste products, these things accumulate. We call them amyloid plaques and tau proteins. They accumulate and they take over the normal brain. And here's the problem now. You survive your heart attack only to look forward to dementia because the heart attack or your stroke is a rupture in the big arteries causing a clot and damage to the heart or the brain. But the washdown effect in the small vessels then leads to dementia later on. So if you haven't survived your heart attack, you're not going to get dementia because you've got the other thing happening. But if you've survived your heart attack, then when you get into your 70s and 80s and 90s, that's when the dementia starts. And I'm sure there are people in this room who have relatives who had a heart attack at age, say, 60 or 70, and then 15, 20 years later, they got dementia. It's all part of the same process, but just in a different part of the body. It's downstream, not upstream. And here's the problem. 30% of Caucasians, 50% of Asians, and 100% of darker skin, of people with darker skin, are born with this gene for insulin resistance. It is the most common genetic abnormality in the world. And how does it manifest? It manifests by having a higher blood sugar level. Now, let me just make one point here. If anyone ever suggests to any of you to have a glucose tolerance test, you know straight away they're an idiot. The only people who are ordering these tests in, Australia, in, in the world are Australian GPs. And I don't understand why they do it. There is no value. You know you're either diabetic or pre-diabetic by a fasting blood sugar level overnight and a fasting HbA1c, which tells you about your three-month sugar control and a tape measure around your belly. That's all you need to know. You don't need to sit in a damn pathology place for two hours drinking this horrible stuff and having blood for, for a couple of hours. It's a waste of time. So... A tendency to, or frank, diabetes is number one in insulin resistance. Number two is, is blood pressure. And normal blood pressure is not 120 on 80. Normal blood pressure is about 100 on 60. But hardly anyone living in this society has a blood pressure of 100 on 60 over the age of about 50. I had a woman just ring my Perth radio segment before I came over here. 73-year-old woman whose blood pressure is 75 on 50. She said, doctor, is that a problem? It's certainly a problem. She probably got adrenal failure doing it. So I told her to go and have a test, have that sorted out. But blood pressure, anything above 120 on 80, that's when you start to get vascular risk. And that's also linked to Alzheimer's disease later on or dementia. I'll, I'll tell you about the difference between the two. Abnormal blood fats. 
Now, again, I get so many questions about damn cholesterol. It's the most beat up thing on the planet. And in fact, if your total cholesterol is four, but your triglycerides are two and your HDL is one, that's much worse than if your cholesterol is 7.5, your HDL is 2.5, and your triglycerides are 0.8. But there are so many fools in medicine who are starting people on statin drugs because their cholesterol is seven without even doing calcium scoring or anything else. So that's another story in another lecture. <laughs> Abdominal obesity, I'll get to that in a second. And then insulin resistance is not just associated with cardiovascular disease and diabetes and obesity. It's associated with gout, fatty liver, polycystic ovaries, and dementia. And I'm going to be really politically incorrect. And look, if anyone gets a bit offended by any of my jokes, get over it. They're jokes. Okay? <laughs> so you want to make a complaint? Clinton Hayes, one of my good mates, just complain to him. <laughs> this woman here has two Japanese families living in either bum. And when she gives up, when she gives up tennis, that bum's going to get enormous. Mightn't look good, but it doesn't hurt. What hurts is this. It's the belly fat here. And this is what we're talking about with type three diabetes, which is Alzheimer's disease. So people who are insulin resistant, who then go on to get the clinical manifestations of insulin resistance as they go, get older, then have a much higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. Another thing just happened recently. A big study came out saying that people who are prone to cold sores really bad cold sores have about a 50% increased risk for Alzheimer's disease. Why? What, well, how on earth could that happen? Because the cold sore, as you know, is herpes simplex one, and you're getting it there, which is pretty close to there. And what is it? It's a nerve poison. It sits in your nerve dormant, then you get stressed or sun or get in the wind, and it flares up. And if you don't treat it, it then spreads. And if you get recurrent attacks of cold sores without treating the damn things, then you can get a higher risk for Alzheimer's disease. That's how it works. So what are, one of the things you should do, I'm not against orthodox medicine, get onto the Valtrex or the Alcyclovir as soon as you feel a cold sore coming on. And also L-lysine, take it as a prevention every day if you're prone to cold sores. If you've got a high lipoprotein delay, you should be taking it as well, but that's another story. So what is dementia? What is Alzheimer's disease? Are they the same thing? Of course they're not. Alzheimer's disease is the commonest form of dementia. And when you look at the pathology of someone with Alzheimer's disease, they have these beta amyloid plaques and these tau proteins. Whereas there's also vascular dementia. So people who have recurrent mini strokes or big strokes can get more dementia. But there's also alcohol-related dementia as well. So many people who drink too much grog get this. Lewy body dementia, often associated in these two, more associated with Parkinson's disease as well. Frontotemporal dementia. So all the five different types of, of dementing illnesses are all dementia. It's not Alzheimer's disease and dementia are interchangeable. They're not. You've got to look for the cause and specifically treat the cause if you can. I'll get onto that as we talk more. And here's the big issue. ApoE. ApoE4. Now, I'd probably say about 10 to 20% of the people in this room have ApoE4 in their bloodstream, and you have a much higher risk for dementia. If you have ApoE4 and get bad cold sores, it really whacks your dementia risk or Alzheimer's disease risk through the roof. So ApoE4 is a simple blood test. I do the ApoE alleles in my patients. It's not even covered by Medicare, but it tells me who's at risk. Now, people say, I don't want to know. But you do want to know because there's something you can do about it, which I'm about to tell you. But APO, the ap abnormal ApoE4 is associated with all of these conditions a bit like insulin resistance. 
So, heavy drinking. Why does heavy drinking cause dementia? One, it's not alcohol that's the problem, but you can't get away from what it goes to, which is a thing called acid aldehyde. So, when you're drinking, you feel great. Happy hour this afternoon. You're feeling terrific. <laughs> but then you have too many happy hours in a row, and then the grog starts to, the alcohol starts to get converted to this acid aldehyde, this, which is why whilst you're drinking, you feel fine, but it's two, three, four, five hours later, you feel dreadful because this acid aldehyde's getting into the system and it's a direct cellular poison. Alcohol's fine, but you can't get away from that. It always gets metabolized to acid aldehyde. Alcohol-related nutritional deficiencies. A lot of alcoholics don't eat that well, and so they get a problem with B1. So you give them some thiamine, that certainly works. Alcohol-associated risk factors, often they smoke, blood pressure, stroke, atria, all these other things lead to a dementia. So heavy drinking is something you have to think about. And then there's the, the normal senior moments that all of us people over the age of 60 have, don't we, Clinton, where you actually forget people's... Well, we're mates, we're the same age. Uh, and you forget people's names and you forget where you put your keys and that's just called being making the wrong decision every now and then, goodness me, missing a monthly payment forgetting which day it is, remembering it later. All of those sort of things are just normal. But it's when you start getting real issues, like you see over here, over that side for Alzheimer's, it's a completely different issue. And, and if people are really worried about getting Alzheimer's disease, that's terrific, because the people who have Alzheimer's disease aren't worried about it at all. <laughs> now, people say to me, doctor, those statin drugs cause dementia. No, they don't. Complete and utter nonsense. This drug here, Lipitor, is the biggest selling drug in the world, and personally, I'd take it off the market. I think it's a poison. But it doesn't cause dementia. What it does cause is a completely reversible memory loss. So as soon as you stop it, your memory comes back, if it is the Lipitor doing it. But often people who are getting Alzheimer's disease or getting vascular dementia are taking these drugs and they think it's the drugs that are causing their problems when it's in fact the disease that's causing their problems. And in fact, one of the treatments for vascular dementia are statin drugs. I just don't use Lipitor or Zocor, which are the fat-soluble statins, which I think get more into the brain, whereas Crestor and Pravacol are the water-soluble statins. They're the ones that I use. And the only people who need statins, in my view, got nothing to do with cholesterol, Nothing to do with cholesterol. I just had a guy ring my Melbourne radio segment before I came over, and he said, Doctor, my cholesterol was only 4.5. I had a stent in my arteries, and the idiot put me on a statin. So he should have done, because the guy's had a stent. If you've had a stent, heart attack, or a bypass, you need to be on a statin. If you have a high coronary calcium score that every male over 50, every female over 60 should have, you need to be on a statin. But if your cholesterol's high, I couldn't give a tinkers. I had a woman... Came to see me at age 58. Her cholesterol was 9.5, lifelong genetic abnormality. She'd been on statins, couldn't lift her arms. And she came to see me. I sent her downstairs. We did a coronary calcium score, CT of a scan uh, of a heart, take a picture of her heart. Score was zero. I said, look, statins make your life worthless. You've got a zero calcium score. Your risk for a heart attack is very low. I wouldn't bother taking the statins. You don't need them. But my cholesterol is 9.5. I don't care. It's not getting in your arteries. You don't treat cholesterol, you treat risk. So anyhow, for the next eight years, she sees every scaremongering GP. If you don't take Lipitor, you're going to die. Anyhow, she ignored them and listened to me. Came back to see me a year or so ago. Sent her downstairs, 66 years old now. Cholesterol still 9.5. Her calcium score had rocketed from zero up to still zero. Had nothing in her arteries. She didn't need a statin, okay? But they do not cause dementia.
This is what healthy brain looks like. That's what the brain of someone with Alzheimer's disease looks like, where those waste products that haven't been washed out by defective microcirculation have accumulated these proteins, the amyloid proteins, the tau proteins, that have just wiped out normal brain tissue. That's what Alzheimer's disease is. And you see there, this is an MRI of a normal brain, and I think that's a, seven, a normal 70-year-old brain. And pretty close to that, normal brain there, and look at Alzheimer's disease, all the space, all the little black areas there, that's the space that you get where it just erodes away. So is there any treatment is the big question. Is there anything you can do for people with Alzheimer's disease? Well, the point is there is a lot of things you can do, and I'm going to go through each of those. But most importantly, and this is the message I always talk about, it's how you look after yourself. Lifestyle modification is king for every condition. If I give you a statin drug to lower your cholesterol, I reduce your risk for a heart attack by about 20%. If I get you to follow the five keys of being healthy, which I'll go through in a second, I reduce your risk for a heart attack by 83% with no side effects. I just don't get it. I don't get why people will abuse their bodies and think taking a pill, lowering a number in their bloodstream is the key to good health. It is just abject stupidity. It's, it's, it's what doctors have fed into people's heads because you go to a doctor, you're a big fat slob, you walk into the doctor and I've got a cholesterol problem, doctor. No, you're a fat slob, lose weight. <laughs> people who could be seen on a global positioning satellite. People who Greenpeace would push out to sea. People are so fat they got their own postcode. <laughs> And they think that taking a pill is going to be their key to good health. I just don't get it. So lifestyle modifications, number one, two, three, four, five, up to ten. Brain training, I'll get onto that. Brain stimulation, I'll explain that one to you. High quality supplements, oh, supplements don't work, they're useless, you know that. All they do is give you expensive urine. No, you idiots, they give you expensive blood as well when you hear anyone say that. <laughs> Mr Harvey, um, I didn't say that. Um, so anyhow, and then specific pharmaceuticals that work as well. So, firstly, lifestyle. And my latest book, The Five Stages of Health, so important. You cannot be healthy and smoke. You need sleep, good quality eating, exercise and happiness. So let's go through those right now. Number one, this is the real reason dinosaurs became extinct. <laughs> Anyone who smokes cigarettes is sick. They are, not, I'm not talking mentally sick, I think probably you are, but you are also physically sick. You are chronically poisoning your body. You are sick. I don't care whether you can run a marathon. You are still sick. So stop smoking if you want to prevent Alzheimer's disease. You shouldn't see alcohol like this. <laughs> Anyone who uses illegal drugs is sick. Now, I'll just go back. I'll get that other one. I'm on the board of a company called MGC Pharmaceuticals who are bringing medical cannabis into Australia. I'm a great supporter of medical cannabis. Smoking marijuana is damn crazy. I was very disappointed when Canada legalised it the other day. 80% of drug-related deaths in society are due to cigarette smoke. 17% due to alcohol. 3% during the rest because they're harder to get. Homo sapiens are a sorry lot. If you make things easy for them to do, they'll do it. Keep things banned, I say. Good old prohibition. But anyhow, <laughs> insomnia is very common. 30% of people over the age of about 20 have problems with sleep. 30%. And having seven to eight hours of good quality sleep every night is as good for your body as not smoking. 
So every night of your life, cultivate a good quality sleep habit. That's another talk by itself. I wish it would work for me. Um, number three, let food be thy medicine. Hippocrates said this two and a half thousand years ago. But see, we see medicine these days as drugs, surgery, and if you're really unlucky, radiotherapy. People who eat good quality food, if just you have a diet high in polyphenols, what's polyphenols mean? It just means plant chemicals. If you have two or three pieces of fruit per day, three to five servings of vegetables per day, you have the lowest rates of heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's disease in the community. But you say, well, that's easy, doc. No, it's not. Less than 10% of Australians do that. When I read about the evils of drinking, I gave up reading. <laughs> there is no doubt that low-dose alcohol, especially red wine, does have a health benefit helping to prevent things like Alzheimer's disease. But you do not get double the benefit for double the dose. <laughs> I, want to tell you, I want to tell you a story about these guys in hospital. And, and they didn't know what was wrong with them. They were filling him full of, full of antibiotics because his fevers were spiking. And after a, a week or two of this, he's getting sick of it. He's got the hospital gown on open at the back, of course, and he, the drip stand. He goes down to the pub. And he, he says to the barman, I want you to give me your 10 best scotches. So the barman lines up the 10 best scotches. The guy goes. <laughs> and he says to the barman, now I want the 10 best cognacs. So he lines up the 10 best cognacs. <laughs> and the guy says, you know, I really shouldn't be doing this with what I've got. And the guy goes, what have you got? He said, a dollar fifty. Exercise. We need, the Walker suggested dose is three to five hours every week of some form of exercise. And it shouldn't just be jogging or walking, it should be about two thirds cardio aerobic and a third strength resistance training, yoga, light weights, whatever. But you've got to tone the body's well. Everyone knows about osteoporosis, weak bones, everyone knows about that. But a lot of, a lot of people don't know about sarcopenia, weak muscles. Because as you get older, you lose muscle bulk. Statins really promote the loss of muscle bulk. I've got a mate of mine who's, who's always had a highish cholesterol and his GP's always wanted to put him on a statin, but I've done calcium scores on him over the years and they've always been very low or zero. And I said, look, Kev, you don't need to be on these statins. Now, he loves his golf, great sportsman, this guy. And he says, you know, Ross, I'm the only guy at the golf club who can still whack the ball easily 250 metres without any problems at all. All the rest of them on statins are just like this. It wipes out your muscles. So anyhow, you've got to keep the muscles strong. And my doctor said to spend at least an hour a day in the treadmill. <laughs> Probably not like this. If you have a three to five hour exercise habit every day, every, sorry, every week, you reduce your weight, you reduce your risk for heart disease, cancer, Alzheimer's, depression, diabetes by 30%. You reduce your risk for osteoporosis, 50%. You drop your blood pressure and you sleep better. There is no pharmaceutical drug known to man that comes anywhere near exercise. In my view, exercise is the second best drug on the planet. The best drug, who said sex? <laughs> Listen. Oh, you said sex. See, this guy goes, no, this is true. This guy goes, this is a true story. It's not, not, this is not a joke. This is a true story. This guy goes to the doctor and he said to the doctor, Doctor, my penis is so long, it's taking on my vocal cords. Could you just remove a bit? So the doctor takes some surgery and the fellow wakes up from the end and says, Excuse me, my, my voice, my voice, it's good. I could talk, I could sing better than Marcus. Um, and then 
he goes home and the wound heals and he gets back into action, let's not deny it. He goes back to the doctor and he says, the doctor, look, um, I really appreciate what you've done for my voice. I can talk, I can sing, but uh, since you've removed, I've lost a bit of prowess. Could you sew it back on? The doctor goes, I'm afraid that won't be possible. <laughs> Mind and emotional health. You don't mind me doing this, do you, Quinn? <laughs> no, no. Some, again, some people, one of the things that, that is an indication of early dementia is a change in your sense of humour. So if, if anyone in the room didn't find that joke funny, watch it. <laughs> Everyone who passes through the door brings happiness. Some by entering, some by leaving. How true is that? <laughs> And I believe that peace and happiness are the best drug on the planet. And the medical evidence for that is enormous. So number two is to train your brain. And this is really interesting that if people who, for example, speak two languages, people who play a musical instrument and keep playing the musical instrument, not, not all day, of course, but people who do this, people who do crosswords, Sudokus, brain training exercises, have much less dementia, it's been shown. A recent study, a specific study of brain training showed that people who do brain training regularly have 30% less dementia before you put anything in your mouth. So keep this active, use it or lose it. Mr. Osborne, may I be excused, my brain is full. <laughs> it doesn't that happen. So what are the five keys to mental sharpness, especially as we get older? Well, number one is to keep working. One of the worst things for your brain is to retire. Stop, stop the challenge that you have every day. So it's really good to keep working. Number two, use it or lose it, as I said. Number three, be open to change. As so many people get older, they do the same things in the same way with the same people. Not good for you. De Bono speaks of, I'll, I'll say that, actually I'll get onto that in a second. So, Use this, okay? As Albert Einstein once said, I mean, you probably don't realise this about Einstein, but he didn't speak till he was five years old. Didn't speak till he was five. And one morning he's sitting there at the breakfast table and he looks, having the usual chicken soup, and he looks at his mother and says, this is disgusting chicken soup. She said, Albert, you've spoken. He said, up to now the chicken soup wasn't that bad. <laughs> so use it or lose it. As I said, the brain training stuff, brain training apps. Crosswords, Sudokus, speak a different other language, musical instruments, all this sort of stuff to do. Do challenging things, go to courses, get the brain working. As I said, be open to change as opposed to Homer Simpson. And De Bono speaks about, uh, one of the greatest minds of last century, about thinking is a bit like running a tap from the top of a hill but not moving it. And if you run it from the top of the hill, only that bit of the hill gets watered. The rest doesn't get watered, you can see here. You've got to water the whole brain by using your whole brain with all the things I'm talking about. And uh, let me just go back to here. Also, there's, I want to show you the, the distinct difference between the male brain and the female brain. So I'll do the male brain on this side and the female brain on this side. So the male brain, you can see here, has the sex center, and just in case it fails, there's a bigger one just there. The ball sports and dangerous pursuits area, the listening particle you can hardly see, even smaller listening to children cry in the middle of the night cell, <laughs> toilet aiming skills at the back, the ability to drive a stick shift, the symbol of the male penis, the TV and remote control center, and have you ever seen any male give up the remote control? I haven't and I won't. The lame excuses glands rather big. The domestic skills spot you can't see, neither can you see the ironing skills spot. The crotch scratching glands rather prominent. 
the avoid all personal questions at all costs neurone just there, and of course, the attention span segment. And I thank all you men for being able to keep up with that slide. But as we do live in a world of political correctness, it would be remiss of me to show the male brain without showing the female brain, because here we have the need for commitment hemisphere, the shopping and chocolate centre, the indecision nucleus, telephone skills, the shoe centre, the jealousy centre, the sex spot, <laughs> the sense of direction neuron, the listening area, and the parallel parking neuron, which I can't see just there. And hang around with optimistic people. I mean, when you get into your 60s and 70s, you go to dinner, especially when they find out I'm a doctor. Oh, my goodness. Oh, doctor, I've got this pain. I know how you feel. I've got one sitting next to me. <laughs> I'm not working. I'm having dinner. I don't care about your health when I'm having dinner. Don't ask me. And a pessimist, be optimistic yourself. Pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity. Optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. That's how we should see life. Brain stimulation, transcranial brain stimulation. This is available in Australia. I'm getting to the point of all this in a second. And this is an electrical stimulation of the brain and it has been shown to improve the blood flow with the brain. So get on your thinking caps, guys. The MEND protocol for Alzheimer's disease. This was a small pilot study of 11 people with varying degrees of Alzheimer's disease. Involved four things. The combination of lifestyle change, all the five things I just said, the uh, brain stimulation, the brain training, and high quality nutritional supplements. Ooh, how about that? 10 of the 11 people reversed their Alzheimer's disease. One with end stage severe did nothing. 10 out of 11 people. What do we do with that people with Alzheimer's disease in Australia? We put them in a corner and stop them throwing themselves in front of a car. We don't do any intensive courses for these people. The million people who are involved in the 343,000 people with Alzheimer's disease would be much better off doing this sort of stuff, supervising this sort of stuff. It's all there. This is not secret. Put MEND into Google and read it. So, and this guy who, who organised the trial wrote this book, The End of Alzheimer's Disease, the first program to prevent and reverse cognitive decline. Not wait till it happens. You find out you've got APOE4, you get a whole lot of cold sores, you don't even know about this and you just wait till you get a problem. Prevention, prevention, prevention. It's like real estate. There's this shonky little place in the UK called Oxford University. A guy called Professor David Smith a few years back did a thing called the Optima Trial. And what did he do in the Optima Trial? He took 271 people with early stages of Alzheimer's. We call it mild cognitive impairment. Did neurocognitive tests and MRIs at the start and then two years later. Placebo-controlled trial of high-dose folic acid B12 and B6. 800 mics of folic acid, 1,000 mics of B12, and 25 milligrams of B6, okay? After two years, the people who were put onto that, the, the active group, not the placebos, had a 30% reduction in progression to Alzheimer's disease. The people who had the highest homocysteine levels had a 50% reduction in progression to Alzheimer's disease. Have you heard of that trial? Can I tell you, if there was a drug that did that, the medical profession would never hear, would hear the end of it. And this was just pushed into the background. Oh, no, 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 it's not, not true. It's only happened once. This is what I'm saying. High-dose B, B group vitamins. 
And here you see the Midvale School for the Gifted. <laughs> My dear friend, uh, Professor Andrew Papinkas from Swinburne University has done some extraordinary work on the effects of taking B group vitamins on thinking, memory, etc. The evidence is there. So when I hear anyone say, all you get with vitamins is expensive urine, I know they're a complete tosser. <laughs> and there are other supplements that work as well. There's work on ginkgo, all of these, ginkgo, brahmi, phosphatidylserine, and it's associated APC chemicals that increase the acetylcholine in the brain, which is important for, for memory. Herpazine A, this lion's mushroom. Stuff that I've done a lot of work on, the bergamot derivatives that come from Italy. These comes from Calabrian oranges on the southern ionic strip of Italy, just that little bit down there. I believe the best natural product in the world. And we've, we've got some work not only for cardiovascular disease and diabetes, but also some work that it does a whole lot of other incredibly important things for your health. I think everyone over the age of 50 should take this stuff. It comes from the soil of Calabria, very concentrated key polyphenols. The, the BPF that, that's made in the stuff that we have, 47% extract as opposed to the 25% for the lesser stuff that's on the market. It also has a bit of chromium, alpha lipoic acid with proven science. None of the other products have any proven science. Um, it activates AMP kinase, improves the microcirculation in the brain. It's all part of what I'm talking about today. Shifts, you know, here's again, shifts to a healthy LDL pattern. What does that mean? Everyone thinks LDL's bad, HDL's good. You've heard that? It's complete nonsense. LDL and HDL are divided into small bits and large bits. This is where size is important. Small bits are bad, large bits are good. This bergamot stuff shifts you from small to large LDL. It's anti-diabetic and improves fatty liver. Again, if you speak to conservative doctors, there are no treatments at all for fatty liver. We've got published data on this. This guy here was a contestant on a TV show called Excess Baggage. It was one of those dreadful reality shows. I was the doctor on the show. I'd never actually seen reality TV till this time. I probably will never see it again. Um, that's his lovely wife, beautiful people, but I got into their skulls about the vital importance of the five keys of being healthy, and they were on the show and being supervised, and we put them onto the bergamot to, to uh, break down sugar and fat in the gut, and after f six months, this is what happened, 40 kilo weight loss. And as I said, it improves the microcirculation in the brain. It also lengthens your telomeres, anti-aging stuff. And then there's ubiquinol, the active version of CoQ10, the only one that I use. Ubiquinol works on the mitochondria. It's a major feeder into the production of energy in your mitochondria. And again, gives you more energy, but I think it's also good as a prevention against things like Alzheimer's. And you can't get enough in your food, as this says here, three kilos of beef a day, 1.6 grams of sardine, 10 kilos of broccoli, you're not gonna get that. And ubiquinol certainly drops in all of your organs as you get older. And you see here, knowing that his post-lunch fatigue was destined to strike Larry War, his head-mounted airbag. And omega-3s, people tell they're useless, they don't work. Recent study came out saying no benefits for cardiovascular disease. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. These studies showing no benefits from multivitamins or no benefits from, uh, from fish oil for cardiovascular disease were all done by considering fish oil and multivitamins like a drug. Now, a drug's like a high-performance motor car. gets you from A to B very quickly, but with the potential of crashing and injuring or killing yourself. 
So with a high-performance motor car, you need very rigid rules, you need safety equipment in the car, seat belts, the whole works. But supplements are like a bicycle. Get you from A to B much slower, but you get some exercise along the way. All you have to do is wear a helmet and avoid drivers. That's it. So it's much better for you to be on supplements. It's going to take you a lot longer to get there. So if you see any trial below five years expecting mortality, morbidity data from a supplement, the people who are doing those trials are fools. They don't understand. Then It's not like taking it. You have to have randomized controlled trials for drugs because drugs are strong synthetic poisons, chemicals, that... <laughs> that potentially can cause a lot of harm and also, in many cases, cause a lot of good. But they have to be rigidly controlled. A study came out last week. The most commonly used blood pressure pills in the world, the ACE inhibitors, 14% increased risk for lung cancer. Covacil, Tritase. Now, does that mean everyone should stop these drugs? Of course not. I actually analysed the data very carefully and that study showed the 14% increase was a, a, a rate of 1.2 cases per thousand people years studied, going up to 1.6 cases per thousand people years studied. So it's a piddly increase. And it only occurred over five years. Cancers take nine years to become a two centimetre tumour. So the only people who, who got lung cancer on ACE inhibitors were people who already had lung cancer, and the ACE inhibitor in that case probably made it grow a bit quicker. So you've got to be careful when you see these sensationalist headlines saying, drugs cause lung cancer or fish oils don't work. And this little guy was fishing beneath the ice, fishing away beneath the ice, and this booming voice came over and said, there are no fish beneath the ice. And the guy looks up and goes, is that you, God? No, I'm the manager of the ice rink. <laughs> and you can now measure the omega-3 levels in your, in your just pinprick finger test, Measure your omega-3 levels to see where you are. And I've got to say, most Australians are down here, about 4%, which puts you at high risk for any sort of vascular problem, including Alzheimer's. Now, I, I've got to I'll make a confession here. I don't particularly like fish. I see fish for therapy, meat for enjoyment. I just don't like fish. Don't enjoy the taste, okay? But I take a bucket of this stuff every day, omega-3s, and my... Um, omega-3 index is 11.9 because I take the stuff to and there's a 90% reduction here. New England Journal of Medicine, 90% reduction in risk if you're up in this level there. I'm above that level. I'm not proud of it. I'm just saying I just don't like fish and so I, I supplement. And then you've got things like curcumin, which has a whole lot of stuff, anti-inflammatory stuff for the brain. All these things are showing biomarkers are improved when you take it. We haven't got mortality, morbidity. I cannot show you one study of any natural supplement to show a reduction in Alzheimer's disease apart from the B-group vitamins that I mentioned before. From all the other stuff I've said, there's no study, but there's a lot of studies to show improvement in memory and thinking and reduction in inflammation. And my mate, Craig Falshaw, who owns Essential Nutrition, this stuff here, Sibelius Sage, another product, another product that shows reduction in or improvement in memory. There's nothing about Alzheimer's in there, but if you're improving your memory, improving the way you think, then down the track you're getting a benefit. So you put all the, I'm not saying one thing is, is going to help you, I'm saying it's the whole thing that helps. 
Now, as far as drugs, drugs do work. At the moment, there's these drugs on the market called uh, they're cholinesterase inhibitors. I think they're damn useless. I've seen a number of patients on them. Some get a little bit of improvement, but I wouldn't be taking the damn things. They're there. Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, including aspirin, have been shown in a number of trials. You remember some of the older women in the audience might remember the drug Ponstan for period pain. Mephanamic acid, that's been shown to reduce the risk for, for Alzheimer's disease. There's an antidepressant called Cipramil, citalopram. Again, that's been shown to melt the amyloid plaques in the brain. And, and new, the other newer antidepressants are being shown to do that as well. So again, if you're on that for depression, you're probably getting a side benefit from the stuff. Again, I mentioned medical cannabis. My company's just started a trial in Perth on dementia. And so we haven't got any results on that, but the work on experimental animals is very promising about reversal of these things with things like medical cannabis, but not with the THC that you smoke. So if you smoke a joint, and I, I, I can give you the Bill Clinton, I've never even put one in my mouth, and I did not have, no, I don't, that's a different, different speech, wrong speech. Um, different speech. Clinton, stop, don't be naughty. Um, but, when you smoke a joint, you get somewhere between 5 to 25% THC. It just does your nerves in, does your brain in. But when you have medical cannabis, you're using more CBD with a little bit of THC to balance the receptors. Different thing altogether. And I heard someone talking before about MCTs. Another thing you can think about is great for thinking. and No evidence at all that it prevents Alzheimer's, but still, it's a good thing. Oh, but no, it's coconut oil full of saturated fat. Again, if you hear any health professional, any health professional say that saturated fat is bad for you, causes heart disease, causes all sorts of problems, you know they're an idiot. They're not looking at the evidence. About a month ago, the second part of the Pure study came out. 220,000 people studied for nine years in 50 different countries showed that if you had three servings of high-fat dairy a day and 100 grams of red meat a day, you reduce your death risk and heart attack risk by 25%. When the Pure study came out about a year ago, the first bit of the Pure study, it wasn't as many people, I think it was about 135,000 people studied for about five years, it showed that those who had the highest carbohydrate intake, what I call white death, sugar, white rice, bread, pasta, potatoes, those who had that, the highest intake of that, 28% increased death risk. Those who had the highest intake of fat had a 23% reduction in death risk. The highest intake of saturated fat, so it's meat, eggs, and dairy, 14% reduction in death and heart disease. So again, you go to the a website of a well-known cardiac foundation, I won't mention them, um, but you go to the website and they'll say avoid saturated fat, why? Where's the evidence? Oh, you cynical, cynical person. <laughs> oh, Clinton, what sort of people do you have in this audience? <laughs> Tick, okay. And there's some really good work on some new stuff coming through. There's stuff called Anavex, which stimulates the things called sigma-1 receptors in the brain. A, a small trial done in Melbourne, Caulfield Hospital, 32 people, showed reversal of their disease with this stuff. There's a whole lot of monoclonal antibodies, this is dying now, monoclonal antibodies, which again have shown reversal of disease. Big trial, 856 people with monoclonal antibodies showing reversal. There's other things being studied, this verubostat, uh, which is also has been shown to have a weak effect on Alzheimer's disease. So there's Superman in his later, later years. Where was I going? 
the aging brain, is it all downhill? The answer is definitely no. Thank you very much. I'm happy to take as many questions as you like. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Go Vita podcast. If you did enjoy it, then the best thing you can do is to subscribe to the podcast, hit that little button on your phone, share it with a friend, show your friends and family how to listen to podcasts and open up a whole new world for them. Whether it's on your iPhone or your Android or on the website at govita.com.au or at thewellnesscouch.com, show your friends and family how to listen to podcasts and again, you'll open their eyes to a whole new way of learning and absorbing great information. You can spread the love by leaving a five star review on iTunes and make sure you head on over to the brand new website at govita.com.au where you can check out the latest Go magazine that's Govita's quarterly mag with recipes, tips, special offers and more. You can listen to all of the podcasts that are in this series and remember, when next you're doing your shopping, make sure you do so in one of the 150 Govita stores around Australia because at Govita, your vitality is our passion. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.